Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Football Social Daily. Spin like royalty here at kingcasino.com. Over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. Please play responsibly. BeGambleAware.org. Hello and welcome to the Football Social Daily Premier League podcast. Now, over the last couple of weeks, we've had a huge amount of football to get through. This weekend is actually a little bit more relaxed. We can take our time and pick through some brilliant FA Cup and Premier League clashes. The FA Cup is back in full swing, semi-final stage. We've got Arsenal against Manchester City today and tomorrow, Manchester United taking on Chelsea. But it's actually kind of nice to have a little bit of a break, look back over the last few weeks of what's been a hectic Premier League schedule, see what the plans are for the summer and pre Preview those brilliant FA Cup games. Now, with all that in mind, we've got still a fair bit to get through, even though we've got a lack of games this weekend. My name's Fergal Brennan, and I'm joined on the show today by Jack Gorn, Northern Football Correspondent for the Daily Mail. Jack, how are we? I'm all right. How are you? Very good, very good. And uh, we also have Mark Critchley, Northern Football Writer for The Independent. Mark, how are we? All good. Thank you, Fergal. How are you? I'm very good, I'm very good. We're all very polite this morning, I like it, I like it. I like it. <laughs> that was all ridiculously very, polite, actually, wasn't it? All very official, yeah, very nice, very slick. Um, as I said, we're kind of missing games this weekend. It feels strange. We've been gorging ourselves for the last month on football, 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 every single day. Uh, and this weekend, we've only got four matches. And today, we've only got two matches to talk about. And that is the FA Cup semi-final between Manchester City and Arsenal and the uh, Premier League game between Norwich City and Burnley. So, with that in mind... We're going to go with the, the glamour tie. Any Norwich or Burnley Burnley. fans that are listening, I, I apologise. Um, I know you guys are itching to talk about that one, but you're going to have to wait. You have to be patient. Uh, Manchester City, Arsenal, Pep Guardiola v Mikel Arteta, the master v the apprentice, all the old cliches all ready to be thrown out over this one. Jack, I'm going to go to you first on this. How much of a factor will that 3-0 defeat at the restart be for both teams? It seemed to be a bit of a psychological blow for Arsenal. Louise getting sent off in the rain um, and then he was bizarrely offered a new contract. It seemed like a bit of a turning point for Arsenal. Have they have they turned the corner or, or do you still think there's a, there's a fair bit of work to be done? Uh, I don't think they've turned the corner since that defeat. I think they were gradually turning the corner under Arteta anyway. Uh, they've steadily improved I think uh, it's been quite good to see 
during Project Restart, the, the sort of players that are playing. So it's been really good to see Saka being given a proper run. And Arteta has really placed, in a, in a way that Pep kind of doesn't, Arteta's placed faith in in the younger players to give them a little bit more energy, which has been really, really good to see. Um, I mean, the interesting thing about the press conferences yesterday was it sounded like Pep was almost doing Arteta's bidding for him with the Arsenal board. I don't know if you saw that, but yeah. Pep was like, if you give it, if the board actually start giving him some funds, then he's going to be great, which felt like a not-so-coded message from Arteta. Um, when you look at the situation, obviously that, that defeat in the rain, I think there was mostly just kind of the symbolism of Louise's hair flopping around in the rain as he, as he trudged off following his red card. Mark, Arsenal have had some positive results since then, obviously beating Southampton, Norwich, Wolves was probably the standout result, but it, it, this, there's still a bit of patchiness there and the last the last three results reflect that. They've gone away to Wolves and won 2-0, then a late equaliser dropped two points against Arsenal, they lost the North London derby, but then they've come back and beat the champions, albeit you know a Liverpool side that have, have taken their foot off the gas a little bit. Where do we see the, the progress that's been made under Arteta? Jack's mentioned there that they've started to turn a bit of a corner. How far do you think they've actually come? I think, yeah, patchy is definitely the word. And, and like Jack said, gradual as well. Um, that more than anything, it, it feels like what Arteta is trying to implement there is going to be quite a slow and um, just just methodical process. Uh, he's, he's kind of strengthened them up on the defensive side. I don't think we're necessarily seeing as many errors as we were perhaps under Embry and, and uh, late era of Enger even before that. Um, that being said... You know, those memories of David Luiz's performance at the Etihad do kind of uh, are a bit of a cloud over this game. Um, so, no, I, I think I think it's slow and it's gradual, but like there is, even in the results, like you say, the, the win against Liverpool, you wouldn't necessarily say that was much down to what Arsenal did rather than the mistakes that Liverpool made. And we're still really waiting to see this kind of philosophy Arteta kind of imposed this philosophy on Arsenal, but it's interesting as well. Like as Jack mentioned there about about Pep doing his bidding for him, Arteta said pretty much the same thing after the Liverpool game. You know, could have been basking in the result of beating beating the the champions, but instead he was saying that actually we need improvement and we need resources and we need funds in order to build the vision of what I'm trying and what I'm trying to achieve it. And um, I think even he realises and he's obviously had a word with Pep about it as well I think even he realises that's going to be key if they're going to you know improve and, and build into next season Obviously we've talked about this idea of, of Arsenal being inconsistent and poor results then being backed up by decent results but not really being able to take the steps forward that are necessary City I wouldn't really say have been inconsistent since they've come back in terms of results two defeats Southampton and, and Chelsea but it's more Jack for me that there's only seems to be two settings. They either destroy teams, you know, we're looking at the results here, 5-0 against Newcastle, 5-0 against Brighton, or they just kind of lose their way, as they kind of did against Bournemouth the last time out. And Bournemouth, who are obviously battling down the bottom, were unlucky not to get a point in the in the last few minutes. So how does Pep balance this? They've still got some huge games. FA Cup semi-final, potentially a final. We know that he's 
very very precious about the domestic cup competitions and then obviously that Champions League game against Madrid in, in early August is he getting the balance right between making sure the players are still fresh but without demanding too much of them in, in what is a very strange environment at the minute yeah I don't think they've gone hell for leather in any of the games really um, if you had five gears are probably in third for most of them and I'd include probably include the Arsenal game and the Newcastle game in that um, the Jekyll and Hyde sort of thing is basically if they get an early goal in the first 20-25 minutes then they generally win the game if they don't then it becomes a little bit of a struggle uh, for whatever I mean there are countless reasons Um He's got yeah, it's a bit. It is a bit. You're right. It is a bit weird at the moment because he's got he's got to keep him fresh. But you only stay fresh if you have minutes in the legs. So on the surface, it looks like a few weeks where you can just take your foot off the gas completely and play some kids. But he's consistently said that they're basically treating this as a mini preseason for the cup games. So if you look at over the past kind of ten days, it's been Newcastle, Brighton, and Bournemouth. That's been building up to Saturday's match at Wembley, and then the Watford and Norwich games. They're going to be building up to a possible final or the Real Madrid game. And his attitude has always been: I'd rather players be in a rhythm than have a rest. Which is why we've seen. I mean, he's made loads and loads of changes, but he makes loads of changes anyway. Which is so. We've seen pretty much a first team for that specific game in most of the matches. Yeah, I, I think when you look at the, the lineups that the two managers are going to pick, you'd expect both of them to go fairly strong here. But, Mark, would it be right in saying that Arteta has got more to... Obviously, Arteta doesn't have the squad at his disposal that, that Guardiola does, but given the fact that Arsenal are pushing for Europa League qualification through the Premier League, yes, the FA Cup is an alternative route into Europe, he has to be far more careful because Guardiola's got a gap. Even if City were to win today, they've got Watford and Norwich in the last two games. They're just essentially boxes to be ticked. And then it's a 10-day break before that Real Madrid game. How does Arteta approach this in terms of his lineup, Or is it unreasonable to essentially say, I'm going to play my strongest team now and keep playing my strongest team until the end of the season? Well, I mean, look at the end result of both of those you know, both of those competitions. Like, if they want to get a Europa League place, they can either get it through the Premier League or the FA Cup. And with the FA Cup, you also get a trophy at the end of it. And, you know, I, I read a bit around Arsenal this week and people are saying that this FA Cup semi-final is viewed as very significant for the club because we all know, like, if you just think about other managers like perhaps Mourinho at Chelsea when he won that first League Cup, yeah, if you get that first trophy under the under your belt, then it does kind of help just solidify any kind of new process, any kind of new vision that you're trying to install. So I think, um, to be honest, I, I think it's almost like <laughs> him, both Arteta and Pep have got to try and they're in this weird kind of zone where you know, as Jack says, you're trying to maintain rhythm, but you're kind of fighting things on on two fronts, sort of. And I know it, it's almost like you know, I wouldn't prioritise one competition over the other because at the same time you've got to maintain this rhythm because you're going towards a certain goal at the end of the season and even though City don't have anything to play for in the Premier League they're trying to do that to uh, keep focus for the Champions League and I think for, for Arteta it's the same where because you're across those two competitions you've just got to try and manage your resources well enough so I don't think he's going to pick one and, and bin the other off I think uh, both are viable routes into 
what they want to achieve and uh, he's got to try and manage his resources in, in that way. Okay, looking at the game itself, uh, we're going to go for a bit of prediction time here. Bournemouth, uh, Man City rested a few players. Arsenal, very uh, arrogant of our, of our tetter to rest. Uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang for the visit of Liverpool. I like that. I like that a lot that he thought, do you know what? I'm going to rest my best player when we play the Champions and we're still going to beat them. Uh, if ever there was you know, a feather in Arteta's cap, I think it's that. But both of them, as we say, are expected to bring players back in. Uh, Claudio Bravo, probably going to play for Manchester City as uh, Pep normally rotates his cup keeper. Jack, where do you see this going? Given the fact that there's more to gain for Arteta, but probably more to lose for Guardiola, how do you see this one playing out? Uh, well, Bravo's injured. So, oh, is he? Uh, Sorry. Yeah, yeah, he's, uh, he's injured at the moment. I don't. He won't play another game for City, uh, which is a bit of a sad end for him. Scott Carson's on the bench on Wednesday. <coughs> do you think it could be him who plays? Quite something, oh, I imagine it'd be great, but unfortunately not. Um, <laughs> I think uh, I think City will kind of stroll to a win. I mean, I'm, I'm going and just expecting to see a three nil, three one, as you were. I can't, I can't, I don't know. I just can't see Arsenal getting over the line, really. Uh, Mark, would you match that up? City stroll, strolling into the final, as Jack puts it. I think it's hard not to. I think at the minute, just the the level um, between the two teams is just, uh, you know, it's it's still far too big. Um, it's just vast, isn't it? And the two teams, obviously, Arteta's trying to uh, install a, a kind of mini kind of pet version of, of that's the way he sees football should be played, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, but Arsenal just simply aren't on that level yet. And sure, it might be enough to come come off in a one-off game, but I don't really see that this weekend. I think we're talking a comfortable three-nil city. Okay, and obviously we're going to cover the Manchester United-Chelsea semi-final in tomorrow's podcast, but just quickly, if City get through, do you see it being a, a Manchester derby in the final? And if so, who's going to win it? Um, <laughs> you'd hope it would be a Manchester, Manchester derby. That'd Unless be, you're a Chelsea never, fan. There's never, there's never been one in a cup final. Which I, I thought it was surprising. Um I was a little bit surprised that there'd never been one. Um, that'd just be such a spectacle, wouldn't it? Um, although I've just said it'll be such a spectacle when there'd be nobody in the ground, so maybe that's a bit silly. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, I'm just like preoccupied find, trying to find the last time that Scott Carson played a game of football. Are you texting um, him? Is that what this is? Is he not getting yeah, back to yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think no, it's I... May 2017. Yeah, he's definitely not getting a call up this afternoon in that case. We were talking before about players being fresh and players not being fresh. He's definitely not fresh. No. Yeah, no. No, so, I'm wrong, actually. It's only two years. Oh, that's rubbish. So, go on. Uh, all Manchester final, who wins that? Um, oh, God, I don't know. Uh, I'd have to... You'd have to say City, wouldn't you? City have got the best squad out of the, out of the four the teams left in. So, I think it would be a little bit of a surprise, actually, if they didn't if he didn't go on and, and clinch the FA Cup again. Uh, Mark, and I don't know, unless you're researching what Casey Keller's up to these days, uh, <laughs> City to win? In, in all Manchester final, I think so. Though I've, I've got a feeling that Chelsea might actually uh, get back ah. to United this weekend. Uh, just because I, 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 I'm just wondering whether Ali's managing the squad as well as he could at the minute. Like it, They've had this big run. I know it was broken the other night. At Palace, but they've had this big run where he's been naming an unchanged eleven. That's definitely his first choice eleven. I imagine injuries permitting, it will be the one that start um, on Sunday. But um, he's, they don't—they don't look 
well rested. They only made two subs the other night. I just feel like fitness fatigue is going to catch up with them maybe a little bit over this over this little stretch of games that they've got towards now at the end of the season. And, and they've been the games against Chelsea. They've beaten them three times this season, but they've been very close games. Uh, relatively, even that four 0 at the start of the season, it was one that Chelsea could weirdly. It was at least four 0 four 0 ever. So I think um, yeah, I think Chelsea might just might just sneak through. Okay, fair enough. Uh, one Premier League game this weekend. We mentioned at the top of the show, Norwich at home to <clears throat> at home to Burnley. Now, unfortunately for both sides, apologies to any fans that are listening. This is the very definition of a dead rubber. Norwich have already been relegated. Uh, any slight chances of Burnley sneaking into Europe are probably gone. So we're not going to focus on the game as it as it is. We're going to look ahead a little bit to the to the respective summers for these two clubs. Now, Mark, we'll start with you on on Norwich because. They've had a they've had a frustrating end to the season post lockdown. Uh, they're in a position where we expected them to at least put up a bit of a fight. That hasn't happened. Daniel Farker has been essentially had a loss to explain what the situation is. Um, but he made some very interesting comments in midweek, essentially saying that in the past we've had to sell our best players. We've had a couple of young stars that have come through. He cited James Madison going to Leicester being the being the best example, and then the club have had to sell them. But he's insisted that won't be the case this summer. Now, I'm not. I wouldn't dare to call a man of Daniel Farker's size a, a liar. But there are going to be clubs coming knocking for, for certain players. Who do you see that could potentially be on the way out, and who do you think will stay? Um, I think if you are a club, say you know upper upper reaches of the Premier League, and you're, you're looking to pick off some of the players that from the relegated sides, like. For example, Liverpool have done a really good job of over the last few years. I think you'd probably be at Norwich. You'd... The ones that stand out for me would probably be Todd Cantwell. I think everybody knows. You know, he's even though he's not always been uh, first choice under Farker, he's, he's coming in out of the team a little bit. He's one of you know he's on the he's a young player, so there's still that kind of resale value if it does go wrong, and he he seems to have some kind of you know potential ability that you could be able to unlock. Scored a few goals, a few assists at Premier League level already, so. Stands him in good stead. I think Emmy Buendia as well is a guy who, you know, if, if you're into your stats, then this is a this is a young player that people rave about just in terms of how he moves the ball and how he carries it forward. You know, he, he kind of links everything together in that midfield. And I don't think that's always been appreciated by Farker this season, actually. Um, he's dropped him on a couple of occasions for reasons that haven't really made sense when he's tried to explain them in the press. So... Um, yeah, those two players definitely, and then oh, there's the two fullbacks as well as the Max Aaron's and Jamal Lewis that I imagine would get a bit of attention. But you know, Norwich is it's um they're an interesting club. Norwich like just after they got relegated, I think the director of football is in Stuart Webber. He, he did an interview saying that um, that basically they've they've gone. It was like they'd gone to war without bringing a gun, and it was no surprise that they got shot. But that's the kind of I don't know, like the, the kind of balancing act that they have to that they have to make, the decision that they have to make. They came in, they said they aren't going to spend so much money, um, hundred like of the level that, for example, Sheffield United did even, um, in order to try and stay in the league. They're just going to try and you know they will obviously try to stay in the league, but whether they do or not, they'll make sure that they don't jeopardise the club's future going forward. And they are, if you look at them, you know they've been up and down in the Premier League quite a few times over the last five or six years over the last decade even. So um, they are one of those yo-yo clubs that do need to think a bit smarter about things. And 
you know, I, th I thought it was quite wise of them, to be honest, not to spend any money in January because sometimes you see clubs who go and shell, you know, 15, 20, or 25 million on, on strikers who play 10 games between the end, now and the end of the season, score two or three goals at best, and then they're, they're stuck with them on Premier League wages in the Championship. So they didn't. They decided not to go down that way, and I think that was pretty clever. Um, uh, and and yeah, like if they can at least try and keep a, some of those very talented young players together, then they stand a good chance of bouncing straight back. Jack, obviously, Mark's picked out Cantwell, and I think when you know non Norwich fans look at the situation, he's the player that you're inevitably attracted to, thinking that they might leave, but. I think given the the way that he plays, there's there's always that little bit of doubt. He is very young to be playing in that position that he's going to, to influence games. The comparisons with Madison are obviously there. There's been comparisons with Grealish as well, newly promoted player, plays in a similar position. But someone like Max Ahrens or Ben Godfrey or, or Jamal Lewis, because they've got a specialist role that they've come up into the Premier League and demonstrated that they're at least worth probably another chance. Do you think they might actually be more attractive? I know Tottenham have been linked with, with Aaron's as a, a long-term replacement for, for Kieran Trippier. Do you think that might be the greater concern rather than the inevitable attention that's going to get thrown on Campwell? Yeah, I think Norwich, um, Norwich are quite a good case study for what football is going to look like next season. In terms of how much money have clubs actually got to spend so you would say that this time last year you'd go well Aaron's will get picked off Godfrey probably go Lewis will go but they'd all cost 20 million quid each those and I don't know whether it'll be interesting to see whether Premier League clubs still take those risks with that money because um, Norwich certainly don't have to sell any of them uh, so they'll have to pay a decent amount of money Um so I think actually looking at Norwich will have a decent idea of where football is at financially. Um, I think one of the clubs that need to that should be looking at Norwich and those players is actually Burnley. Um, those are exactly the sort of players that Burnley should be identifying and signing to move themselves forward. But they've always been kind of priced out of signing players that are, hover between Premier League and Championship because they always cost 15, 20 million and Burnley won't <clears throat> normally don't stretch that far for, for players. So, yeah, I kind of, I think Buendia, I think Mark's right, I think Buendia would be, be the one that probably definitely gets snapped up uh, and I'm not sure about the rest of them. Uh, obviously, you mentioned they're Burnley. We're going to move on to them now. When we talk about their summer, Sean Dice is in an interesting position where he's done exactly what he always does make sure he gets enough at the critical point of the season so that they don't get sucked into a relegation battle they're probably going to come up short in terms of getting into Europe but the interesting thing this summer is going to be he can't stand still he does need to invest some sort of money they've had a few players leave on free transfers who might not be the biggest names obviously Jeff Hendrick Aaron Lennon um, non-Burnley fans will look at this and go whatever but Dyche runs a very tight ship he likes to have players there that know exactly what they're doing they're two important players that have gone where can they look to strengthen this summer to make sure that they're not dangling around relegation that they are nice and solid in mid-table and maybe when it comes to the final stage of the season they have got the legs to, to push on and, and maybe squeeze into Europe they need I'd probably say they need a right back and a right winger Um yeah, the right-hand side needs a bit of surgery. But Burnley... Burnley's so strange because, as you say, it's, you know, 
tight ship, tightly knit squad, and they probably they need to kick on. But finding players that are better than the ones they've already got that would start every week cost a lot of money. So Burnley are in this strange situation whereby what sort of player are they actually trying to buy? Are they trying to buy? Are they buying squad players, which feels like a little bit of a waste of time, or are they going to drop? Are they going to go above fifteen million for the first time in history to go and get players that are actually going to make a real impact on the squad? Um, we're having those conversations at the moment. I don't know whether Dyche is going to get his way or not. Um, but he was—he's been very frustrated for, I'd say, going back three years now with with the way that um, finances are handled, and he'd like them to give him a little bit extra in the transfer market, which they've they've never done. Um, but I think that it's just the type of player they go for that's the that's the issue. I think they just get priced out of the sort of players that they want because. Like two years ago, they wanted Matt Phillips from West Brom, who I think would have been a perfect, a perfect signing for them. Exactly what they would have needed. West Brom want twenty million quid. Well, we're not paying that. They wanted Craig Dawson would have been the same thing. Twenty million quid. I don't know how much Watford signed him for in the end, but he's gone on to do quite well at Watford. Yeah, they wouldn't spend the money. Um, and then that summer they also wanted Jay Rodriguez, and that's to wait twelve months for him. And obviously Rodriguez has turned out to be a very, very shrewd. Um, signing for them, so I can see why he gets. Frust- I can see why he gets frustrated, but it's a very recruitment there is very very difficult because the players that play every week out outdo themselves on a on a game by game basis because of the manager's so good. So it's a bit of an odd bit of an odd club. But Mark, as as Jack said, there is this almost equilibrium right the way through the club in that the players consistently perform so there's an arguable logic to say well we don't need to you know you don't fix don't fix it if it's not broken kind of situation but there's also an oddity with Burnley that I find their best players or their players that you look at and go yeah they could be a Europa League level player or potentially even a top four player they never really seem to leave and they never actually really seem to be linked. Obviously, Nick Pope's got a huge amount of praise this season because he's been excellent for them. Ben Mee at the back, I know he's missing the last two games with it with an injury. Um, Jack Cork in midfield, very solid, very experienced. But none of these players ever get linked with leaving Burnley. So does there need to be a change of players at Burnley in order to force the board's hand? If Dyche, as, as Jack says, is saying to the board, I need this amount of money to bring these players in, does one of their better players need to leave in order to kind of hit re- hit refresh on on Project Burnley? Um, I, I, yeah, it's an interesting point. I think um, I don't know whether it's a certain almost if you you want to say kind of stigma that gets attached. I, mean, I think the the issue that you refer to there is due to the fact that Burnley have such a, a they have an identity um, which is actually a massive a massive positive and a huge you know tick if you like in, in in that column for the club because there's so many clubs at that uh, around that level and who aspire to be at Burnley's level who just have no clue what they're about I mean they're probably going to finish above Everton this year which they have absolutely no right to when you consider the amount of money that Burnley spent and the amount of money that Everton spent but yeah that doesn't seem surprising because we just know Burnley are this team who have um, who just have a certain character and a certain a, a certain reliability um, and that's down that's down to the manager and it's down to the group of players and I don't think you'd necessarily want to break that up um, in the way that you're saying that I think 
you'd want to try and keep that together for as long as possible and, and, and to keep that kind of continuity. I think the issue is with Burnley is that, um, as Jack's identified there, they're not always willing to spend uh, £20 million on players. I, I think, is, is Ben Gibson still there at record signing? I think so, yeah. £16 million, yeah. So, you know, they're not, they're not always willing to stretch that far. And also, like, it's, again, it's the type of player as well. I think um, not only... You know, Dice likes to sign, like, British, Irish-based players. Certainly, if they're not of those nationalities, then they tend to have at least had a lot of experience in English football or played in the Championship or whatever. And when you're shopping in those kind of markets and you're not really stretching much further than that, I don't know whether that's because you don't want to, but there are cheaper foreign-based players that you might want to look at as well. But they, they seem to want to just maintain that, that culture and that identity. And again, like I say, it's work for them, so why wouldn't you? Um, but yeah, it, it becomes strange because it becomes this kind of stasis where you don't really know where you move, how you know whether, you, whether you're going to challenge for a top four spot like you're talking about or Europa League or whatever. Um, so to make that next leap and that next jump, yeah, they they do probably need to do something a bit different. But I just I'm just not sure whether there's that pressure or that need or that desire to really because they've ultimately they've landed on quite a good thing. So why change it? Okay, it's uh, weird. Like McNeil's the only one that make, make him any money really. McNeil, yeah, yeah, yeah. worth a lot. The rest of them, as good as they are, and it probably goes back to what Mark was saying about stigma of the club. Really, they wouldn't fetch any money from. I don't know why they're all they're all very very good players, but no one would be willing to pay the money that they're worth. I think the, the comparison with Cantwell is actually an interesting one. I think if McNeil was to leave Burnley this summer and Cantwell was to leave Norwich, Cantwell would actually go for more money, despite the fact that McNeil is a little bit younger, possibly adds a bit more, and has proved in a Burnley team that creates very few chances, he can create chances very, very efficiently, whereas Cantwell, because Norwich are a bit more open, does get more of the ball, does get more opportunities. But I think Mark is right, it does come back to that stigma idea of as much as Daesh looks at other players and says, oh, they're not for me, I think even more apparent clubs look at Burnley players and say, they're not for us. Um, so it's it's a little bit of a, a catch-22. Anyway, the game itself, uh, I said we'd only touch on it briefly. Uh, Jack, Norwich's last home game of the season, last home Premier League game for at least another 12 months or so. Uh, are we going to throw them a bone uh, and, and go for a Norwich win? Or, or do you think Burnley will, will have enough? Nil-nil. Nil nil, absolute thriller. Okay, uh, care to care to give us an advance on that one, Mark? Will you stretch yourself to one nil, maybe? God, I'd say one nil Burnley. I think uh, they've not they've not lost. Well, they've lost like, one game in like fourteen, and that was that was the five nil at City. Um, and I think they're third I, in the form table since January, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, I, I, they had like a pretty poor run around Christmas. I remember quite a few back to back defeats, but then, like you say, since January, it's just been. You know, top form basically. So, no, I, yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't foresee them that kind of unbeaten run, if you like, ending at, at Carrow Road. I think, uh, I think, yeah, one nil. Okay, fair enough. On that absolutely thrilling note, we're going to call it there for a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to be talking about the big news of the last 24 hours, and that's Marcelo Bielsa's Leeds United back in the Premier League after 16 years of waiting. Leeds United fans, if you're listening, if you know any Leeds United fans, they are absolutely delighted this weekend, and fair play to them. It's been a long, hard road back. Uh, we're also going to be running our eye over a few transfer rumours. Uh, obviously, the Premier League's update this week that the transfer window is going to be extended into October means there's going to be lots to talk about in the next few weeks about people that are going to be leaving the Premier League and coming in. Join us after the break.
Football Social Daily with KingCasino.com. Pick up a royal ransom of 100% up to £150, plus 50 free spins on the description link. Over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. Please play responsibly. BeGambleAware.org. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Premier League podcast. This weekend, it's FA Cup and Premier League mixed together on the Football Social Daily podcast. We are back up to seven days a week following the Premier League return. If you hit subscribe on this episode, you can get a fresh one every single day. And you can also keep up to date on your own team. Ask your Alexa device to enable Sports Social, pick your team and off you go. Now, before the break, we previewed the FA Cup semi-final between Manchester City and Arsenal. And we also talked about Newcastle Uh, sorry Newcastle Norwich against Burnley we're now going to move slightly ahead Uh, apologies to any Norwich City fans that are listening but with their relegation confirmed we now know who is going to be replacing them and that is Marcelo Bielsa's Leeds United 16 years of hurt for Leeds United they've been down to League One they've had administration they've had David Hockaday as manager they've had all sorts of problems but they are now back they are back in the top flight and for non-Leeds fans we get to experience the Marcelo Marcelo Bielsa show in the English top flight Jack I'm going to go to you first on this Uh, Bielsa we're all absolutely delighted to have him in the Premier League what can we expect from him uh, next season, bringing his lead side up? Um, just kind of a high octane football for ninety minutes. The like the counter attacking of Leeds is oh, it's just breathtaking when you watch them live. It, they're inc- an incredible, incredible team to watch. Um, I think for the first during his first season, the players were struggling with fitness a little bit and like, couldn't quite keep themselves at the levels that he wanted but I mean the way he sets them up is like perfect for the Premier League they'll I, th- I think they're going to shock a few teams away from home next season with the way they the way they set up and they all fly forward at once it's just proper football um, and I, yeah it's going to be absolutely fascinating to see to see how they do and I mean like with Bielsa it's I've seen the video uh, doing the rounds on Twitter last night of him in his house. Where I think he's in Weatherby, is he, or something? Um, with Leeds fans kind of lying in the street outside his, his little cottage, <laughs> um, telling him he's God and all that sort of stuff. And he's like, well, I can't speak English, but I can say thank you. But he's just like, it's just really nice, the whole story and the fact that they're, they're back. It's great, for the, it's great for the league. And obviously, Mark, some of the players that have performed for them this season have been with them for the last couple of years that have, have stuck by Bielsa and stuck by the project that, that he committed to when he joined and, and getting them into the Premier League. Patrick Bamford, 16 goals this season. Helder Costa, very sharp bit of business to, to get him on a permanent deal from Leeds. Calvin Phillips has obviously got a lot of attention because he's young and he's exciting with the ball. Where do we see these players fit in, in the kind of in the Premier League ranking who, who are you most excited about seeing in a Leeds United shirt in the Premier League next season oh right that's a good question I hadn't thought of that one um, <laughs> no I, I think I think so where, where would they fit in the Premier League rankings uh, I think look uh, they're, they're probably I would say the best team that come up from the Championship since certainly since Wolves came up a couple of years ago um, and, and you know of those of, those are two of those two are probably the best of the decade, if you like. That's how that's how good we're talking here. I don't know whether they quite climb to the heights that Wolves climb to, like up in the European places. But 
like Jack says, like Bielsa's style of football just perfectly suits the Premier League. It perfectly suits uh, kind of fast, dynamic, counter-attacking, you know. And I just see them slotting in very nicely and, and yeah, surprising a few teams as well. Of the players, um, I, I, you know, Calvin Phillips sticks out, I guess, because he's a local lad, he's, he's English and, you know, he's been talked of. It's been said whether, you know, potentially for an England call maybe next year or 2021, you'd think of Ben White as well. I mean, I, I don't expect that um, Brighton are going to let Ben White stay on loan at Leeds next year. But he's an extremely highly rated young centre-back who's, you know, really been one of their standouts this season. So I think those two, I think you'd look at um, Matthias Click as well in midfield. I think he's, he's started every I read something saying he started every league game under Bielsa over the last two years you know these are the players that really just bring the whole system to life and I think a lot's going to depend on whether they can still get something out of Pablo Hernandez as well who's uh, about 35 years old but is, is still the kind of you know the metronome in that team that makes everything tick so so yeah but I I, I would expect them to I would expect them to land up mid-table, maybe top half, I think. I think, you know, this isn't the case. It's, if they can buy well, the one the one issue is they do have a few loans in the squad. I don't I don't think they'll have a problem making Jack Harrison permanent if they if they went for it. But like I say, Ben White will probably leave, go back to Brighton. If you replace those players well enough, then I don't see why they couldn't, yeah, claim a mid-table finish. Obviously, having Bielsa and these players that you've mentioned in the Premier League is exciting, but just the fact of having Leeds back is 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 enormous. I I one cannot think of the last team to be promoted to the Premier League that has seemed more necessary to be in the Premier League. Aston Villa, Wolves, a team that you would associate probably with the Premier League, but for Leeds United to be out of the Premier League for so long, it I think it's so important to have them in the size of the city, the size of the club, the fan base. Ellen Road is is a fantastic away day for me any time I've ever been. Uh, Leeds fans pack it out. Every single home game, whether they were in, in League One, Championship, they obviously had playoff heartbreak in the last couple of years, Jack. But you mentioned there, obviously, fans sleeping outside Bielsa's house. I had a Leeds friend on the phone last night, and despite the fact that I kept telling him, yes, I understand what this means, he kept telling me, no, you don't understand what this means. And when I hung up, I realised, no, do you know what? I probably don't understand what this means. So what does it mean to have to have Leeds United back in the Premier League? Uh, I kind of don't buy. I actually, don't buy the argument that it's um, certain teams need to be in the Premier League to make uh, to give the Premier League its feel. I think clubs deserve to be where where they are, and the way Leeds have been managed over the last sixteen years, well, longer than that, they they didn't deserve to be a top flight club because the people that were the people who owned it or the people who ran it before Radziwizani ran it poorly. Um, and it's been sad to watch what's happened at Leeds while he kind of went down to League One and <clears throat> floundered in the Championship a little bit. Um, I don't. I'm similar to you. I don't know what it means for them, but you can imagine. I mean, we could. You could do a five-six hour podcast on the last sixteen years at Leeds, and yeah. some of the stories are just. Uh, you could do well. You could do five-six hours on Chilino on his own. Like some of the stories about our leads are just unfathomable of the, from the last fifteen years, um, so it is great, but it, I don't know. It's it's a hard. I know what you mean when you say it's the Premier League needs them, um, but the the Premier League 
need a well-run Leeds. Yeah. Like, having Leeds back under previous owners would have been a car crash. So it's, it's, it's great that it's come at this time when they seem to be properly sustainable and everyone's pulling in the right direction. But when you look at the situation in the Championship and, and it's such a difficult league to get out of, Mark, when it takes an absolute battle, 46-game season, you can be yo-yoing between the automatic spots and, and the playoffs. Leeds have held off quite a few challenges and, and they've been here before in the last two or three seasons and they've had that heartbreak that's probably steeled Bielsa, steeled the players towards this. How much has that damage in the past, that heartbreak in the, in the recent past, probably been the decisive factor in making sure that this time is, is their time for getting promoted? Yeah, I, I suppose... Um... I don't know how much the, the 16 years will have borne on Bielsa and his players, but certainly I was at the I was at the Derby game last year, the, the playoff semi-final, um, and it did feel after that as though you were kind of uh, walking into the unknown, really, um, just simply because, you know, getting Bielsa and appointing him was such, such a coup and it took such work. And if you remember, I think there were stories about it for like a whole week before he actually they got it over the dotted line. Um, and you, you just weren't sure whether you know that that would survive that kind of disappointment. Um, but I think in the end, like ultimately, the people who are running these now, like uh, Siani and, and Victor, Orton, the director of football, these are smart people, and I think they realised that their best bet of getting out of the division was was to do whatever they necessary to to keep myself Bielsa at the club and 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 to make sure that he stayed on for a second season, and so. You saw last summer they made some pretty big decisions and a lot of decisions that a lot of the fans would have questioned. Um, I think it's fair to say that selling Pontus Janssen to a direct rival for about five million quid, um, you know, it was a mistake. Well, well, you, you, it's weird because they sold him. It's, it's not a lot of money. He's gone to Brentford. He's you know become a key player at Brentford, and they look like they might get promoted automatically to the Premier League now as well after last night's result. And yet. Would you say it's a mistake? Because it's almost not, you know, there's not been any significant downside. And if and if that was kind of one of the conditions to keep Bielsa at the club and to keep this train on the uh, train moving, you know, then you know it was necessary. So um, yeah, I, I think the, the disappointment of last season and all those the, the kind of tropes about oh, does a Bielsa team can they last that long? Do they get tired? Whatever, that will have all informed them and only made them more determined to, to get it over the line this year. Because I think, you know, anybody who watched the championship, even last season, I know they finished third, you would say that Leeds were the best team in the division on their day. That they, 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 Their ceiling is much higher than anybody else's. And they knew that if they kept largely the same nucleus in place and, and they, most importantly of all, they kept Bielsa on, that um, they'd be able to repeat that kind of performance this season and hopefully just get a bit luckier. And I think... That's what they've done ultimately, and um, you know it shouldn't now be a problem. Bielsa's contract runs out again this summer. It shouldn't now be a problem to keep him on now that they're a Premier League club, and and that's only going to stand them in good stead. And like I said before, I think I think we're looking at a top half team probably next year. Uh, obviously, Leeds are confirmed as as promoted. They're not quite. Uh, so, oh no, they have. Sorry, they have secured the the title, so they are going to go up as winners. Um, the, the race to get that second place is going to be tight. The race for the playoffs is going to be tight. West Brom have had a little bit of a wobble in the last few weeks. Uh, Brentford could well overtake them and get second place, which would be their first ever Premier League um, promotion. Jack, I'll go to you first on this. Who are your tips for automatic and, and playoff promotion? 
Um, I think Brentford will do it. Uh, Playoff-wise... It's just such a lottery then. It is a little bit, but... It's always a safe bet picking the best team, and West Brom will be the best team, but their form recently... You can't. You don't want to go into a playoff like that, do you? I don't know. Probably someone just coming from nowhere a little bit. Um, I mean, Millwall could get into the top six yet. And if you have like a, there's been so many examples over the years of clubs coming from like tenth, eleventh in the last two months of the season and go on a run and then just storm the playoffs. And I don't know. I'm like kind of talking myself into saying Millwall. Okay, so Brentford second, Millwall playoffs. Mark, given given Jack's prediction, form's probably going to be the big thing. Fulham unbeaten in the last five. Brentford have won their last five. Millwall, as you say, are in good form. Who are you going for? Yeah, I think um, I think Brentford are going to clinch the automatic place. Um, just given the form that they've been on the second half of the season, I think they need four points from these last two games now. So I don't see that being an issue. Um, and yeah, and like Jack, yeah, you are just tempted to say the best team, which would be West Brom. Um, and I know form does factor into these things, but I just haven't been that impressed with with most of the other contenders. It, like it's so it's such a difficult league to predict, and it's such a competitive league. But I, I think West Brom have proven over the course of the season that they they should be able to beat the rest of the teams comp- competing in the playoffs or who have a chance of sneaking in. Even you know, I know. Millwall, Swansea. Swansea were pretty good, actually, and maybe an outside bet. But I, I think it's going to be Leeds, West Brom and Brentford. And to be honest, I think they've been the three best teams, the three standout teams uh, this season. And so that would, that would only be deserved. No, I'm going, to, I'm going to go against you. I'm going to go for Fulham. Uh, I think form is king in these situations. I think that's what normally wins it. I always find if you're coming down from second to third, that's affected you a little bit mentally. And I think West Brom are going to get squeezed out of it. But it's going to be interesting the next couple of weeks. And we're going to be seeing three brand new teams in the Premier League. We know one of them already, and that's Bielsa's Leeds. There's going to be two more coming up and two more going down following Norwich City. Uh, just before we wrap up, we're going to have a quick look at some transfers. Premier League have announced this week that the transfer window will be extended into mid-October, uh, letting clubs have an extra opportunity to get some more bodies on board for the season. Uh, Southampton midfielder Pierre Hoiberg is leaving St Mary's. Ralph Hartnuttle has said that he's declined to sign a new contract. He's got 12 months left to go on his current deal. Uh, he's previously said that he wants to play Champions League football. That got the captaincy taken off him. Uh, Hartnuttle showing that he takes no mess in. Tottenham and Everton are both linked with him. Mark, I'll go to you on this. Who needs him the most? Jose Mourinho or Carlo Ancelotti? I would say of those two, it's probably Carlo Ancelotti because I think Everton's midfield has been their biggest kind of source of frustration this season. Like whatever partnership, whatever kind of uh, double act they try and put in the middle there, they don't seem to to get it right. Again, though, I I do wonder whether Hoiberg's the answer. Um, I actually saw someone on Twitter, an Everton fan this week, put if Hoiberg's the answer, what's the question? And I think that's that's a fair point because what exactly would you be looking for? I think him. I think that's been copy and pasted from quite a few of their midfield signings. You know, C. Del, yeah. C. Schneiderlin. Exactly, exactly, and and you know, there's not so much joined up thinking there. Like Andre Gomez, for example, he's he's a, he's a good ball player, um, but I think there's a bit of a question over just like his physicality in that in that role. Um, Gilfie Sigurdsson's never really been struck me as a central midfielder, so they definitely need reinforcements there. But I don't know whether Hoiberg's the one, but. I, it, it would make sense, I suppose, yeah. 
Jack, for me, he's a very, very Mourinho-style player. He's this kind of athletic midfielder that not doesn't necessarily do an awful lot, but fits what Mourinho likes from his from his midfielders, particularly those that play a little bit deeper. If T- Tottenham were to bring him in, and obviously they're pushing for Europa League, longer-term Champions League, is he actually good enough for that? Have you seen enough of him at Southampton to suggest that he's up to the job of, of playing in European football as he's claimed that he wants to do? Yeah, I think he'd walk into that Tottenham team. Um, he's very dynamic, uh, which is exactly what well, every every team needs. Don't they need a dynamic midfielder who can do a bit of everything? I mean, I'm a little bit surprised that City haven't had a go at him. Um, Would you have him at I, Man City? Uh, I don't. Well, they need probably they probably want another another body. Uh, the reason I say that is because he was Pep's pet project at Bayern Munich for the first six months um, of his reign there. <clears throat> and he called him the new uh, Sergio Busquets and thought he was going to like really, really kick on. And he's still not that, he's still not that old. Um, and he's, you know, he's battled back from serious injuries. Um, I, I do, I like watching him. I think he's, I think he's got a bit about him. Um, and if the, if some if someone can get him from for twenty million, I don't, I don't know whether you're going to be able to get a better midfielder for that money this summer. Okay, fair enough. Uh, City, obviously, as you said, <clears throat> according to Jack Gorn, exclusive uh, linked with Pierre Hoiberg. They have definitely been linked <laughs> with uh, Ferran Torres. A little bit of a civil war. Also <laughs> yeah, it's, it's raining exclusives here. Right, well, we're going to go to you on that in this case. A little bit of a civil war of Valencia at the moment. Uh, Peter Lim is having issues with the rest of the board and with the fan base. There's the potential there could be a fire sale this summer. Uh, Jeffrey Condogbia, Danny Pareco, one or two others have been linked with a move away. Ferran Torres is the, the star name that you'd say he's been linked with uh, an exit. And Manchester City are rumoured to be after him. Obviously, so much of the talk in the last few weeks has been David Silva's replacement. Phil Foden has been you know, anointed as his heir. But would there be a bit of a temptation for Guardiola to go for someone like Torres, who who has got far more first-team football, Champions League football under his belt than Foden? Um, yeah, I mean, Tor- Torres would be... A replacement for Sane, so they want the two major, major signings they want is they want a right side of centre half and a winger. Um, and Torres is the same; he's the same age as Sancho, so they've in the same age group. I think they're two thousand. Um, he's quick. He's got a trick. Uh, he's got an eye for goal. Um, he's a fabulous dribbler. Uh, I think for the money. I think he'd be a smart signing. I think they like they, they like him, but they're not quite as far along with it as some of the Spanish press are saying. Uh, I saw I read a couple of things the other day that said it was basically a done deal already, which I don't. I, to my knowledge, it's not. Uh, but they are like they are keen on him. Um, and then, kind of replacements for Silver, is it? I think the rest of the transfer business kind of depends on who they're going to get rid of. So. They'd want a second centre half, a left-sided centre half, but that is dependent on who leaves, whether Otamendi or possibly Stones uh, goes in August. Um, and then they uh, they kind of want an attacking midfielder, false nine centre midfielder sort of player like Bernardo Silva that can do a bit of everything, um, which would be a real luxury. But I don't know who that I don't know who that could be. I mean, you look. I mentioned Foden. Foden will play. Foden will play middle of midfield, left wing, right wing for pretty much the whole season next year, I think. I think it's going to be a massive year for him. Uh, 
another midfielder that's been linked with the Premier League. Uh, this is the final one that we're going to go with today. Mark Thiago from Bayern Munich, perpetually linked with Liverpool in the last couple of weeks. Jurgen Klopp's been fairly coy about it. The usual, oh, I like him, but I like a lot of players. Um, there's a lot of chat from the, the in the nose on Twitter that they've spotted him buying a house on Merseyside. Given the fact that he's only got a year left on his contract, Bayern seem to be resigned to the fact that he's probably going to go can Liverpool get this over the line? Or obviously, as we saw with Werner, sometimes the financial structure in place can can price them out of things. Do, do you see this getting sorted? Well, I mean, if you read it, the German press, then they seem to be very far along with this. I'm still very sceptical about it. I think uh, Thiago's a player who doesn't necessarily fit the model of what Liverpool are trying to, are trying to do. Um, he's 29. He's you know been quite injury-prone over the last few years. That isn't to say that they wouldn't break that kind of model and they wouldn't, you know, for a player of his talent and ability, that they wouldn't look at him and think, well, you know, if he's available and he's affordable, then, uh, you know, he can definitely add something to the to our midfield. But I just, you know, those are the big questions, basically. Is he, is he affordable? Um, Liverpool slightly hamstrung by by the pandemic and the crowd we've seen with the, with the Werner signing. Um, that they that they managed didn't manage to get over the line, so I'm yeah I, I'm still skeptical about it. Look, I'm, if you'd asked me two weeks ago, I would have said there's no chance, and I'm not saying that now. I think because this the kind of speculation and, and just the noises around it have, have have intensified a little bit, but still to me it feels like one that's maybe perhaps more unrealistic than it is realistic. So. It's, it's a wait and see. I, I'm I'm not sure that they're gonna that they're ultimately gonna feel that it's worth it, but we'll see. Uh, and just quickly, Jack, if it does go through, for my money, I think he actually improves Liverpool. Um, obviously, Premier League champions—they've been excellent this season, but there's still question marks over their midfield in terms of chances they create, in terms of keeping the ball. Would he bring them on another level, particularly in the Champions League? And obviously we expect Manchester City to come back like a storm next season. Do they need someone like him in order to keep the players on the toes and bring them on a little bit? Yeah, I think, well, I think they could do with an extra creative body in midfield, definitely. You're right in that Liverpool, they feel like one one injury away from trouble um, in a number of areas, really, particularly up front. Um I, yeah, I, if he's a, if if that sort of player is available at the right price, then I think you know you go well. Yeah, we'll take three years of you, and we'll realize that we realize that we won't be able to sell you on. But what you'll give us over that three years will be we can justify paying the money. Um, and yeah, if if Thiago becomes available, you, you sign him, don't you? He's just an excellent, excellent player, and would plug. I mean, aren't, uh, difficult to say there's gaps to plug at Liverpool, really, because they're, they're brilliant, but he would offer them something different. Yeah, no, I would agree. And I, I think it's it's going to probably rumble on for the next few weeks, but I, I do see him 
wearing a red shirt next season. I'm going to be very in the know myself here uh, next season. I just don't know who. Stay about Munich, yeah. <laughs> yeah well, well, that's exactly that's what that's that's my hedging of my bets uh, in terms of Thiago and where he's going to go. Uh, guys, we're going to call it there for today. Uh, it's been a fantastic podcast here for the Football Social Daily. We've had Casey Keller, we've had Marcelo Bielsa, we've had transfer exclusives, we've had everything. And with that in mind, all the more reason to hit subscribe on this episode. That means you'll get a brand new, fresh, spanking episode every single day where we're talking all things Premier League as we approach the end of the season. You can also keep up to date with your own team. Simply ask your Alexa device to enable Sports Social. Pick your team. Off you go. Good to go. Guys, Mark, Jack, thanks so much for joining me. Cheers. Nice on, thank you. Great stuff. And we will see you again very, very soon. Football Social Daily with KingCasino.com. Pick up a royal ransom of 100% up to £150, plus 50 free spins on the description link. Over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. Please play responsibly. BeGambleAware.org. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.